So Isaiah 54, we're in verses 4 through 10 today. Imagine, it's a perfect Saturday in June. That's not hard to imagine this morning. Two starry-eyed lovers are pledging their lifelong devotion to one another in a beautiful chapel. Their hearts are full of love, full of hope, full of dreams. In him, she sees a solid man, responsible, dependable, hardworking, successful, and yet also attentive. She doesn't have much family to fall back on, and she's had a rough life, but he sees in her a bride who is sweet and lovely and deeply in love. Well, fast forward a couple years, and as is too often the case, things are not going well for them. The shine has worn off. There have been adjustments, difficult conversations, disagreements, and strife. In fact, these painful difficulties have taken her fragile, insecure heart to such dark places that she winds up cheating on him. More than once, actually. She's trying to fill an emptiness. She's longing for she's not even sure what and looking for love in all the wrong places, as they say. When he finds out, he can't believe it because such betrayal and such unfaithfulness would never even have entered his heart. He's deeply hurt. He's betrayed. He knew they were having challenges, but this, and so he divorces her. They're through. Despite the heartache and the pain, with time he is able to heal and pick himself up and go on making his way in the world without her. She, meanwhile, bounces around from lover to lover, sinking lower and lower. With little family support, she finds herself broke and broken and victimized and hopeless and destitute, wandering the mean streets a million miles away from that comfortable life she once had with the man she had married. That's the background of today's scripture passage. That's the story behind it. Of course, it's a metaphor. It's a parable of sorts. God is the husband. God's people are the young, unfaithful bride, cast off and rejected. Now living a life of shame and disgrace, alone, suffering, and vulnerable. In real life, in real history, that life was the Babylonian exile that God's people went through. God's people, unfaithful to God, had been given over to be attacked and conquered and oppressed and victimized, no longer a nation, just a powerless, voiceless remnant living as strangers in a strange land, without an identity, without a future, without their God. And it's into that situation as we began to see last week that God speaks in today's passage through the prophet Isaiah, to God's people in exile. Today's text is an invitation. It's an announcement of good news, amazing news, potentially. It's the husband reaching out again to his former bride, saying, guess what? I've seen you suffer, and I've seen your trouble and your heartache and your shame and your disgrace. 
And I'm inviting you back. Let's try again. Let's recommit. I'm willing to forgive. I'm offering you my love again. My stability, my comfort. Come back to me. So, how will she respond? She might be too embarrassed to come back. Too ashamed, too afraid of what he'll say or what others will say. Which is why the opening words of today's passage are this. Do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. Do not be afraid. I will not embarrass you. Do not let fear stand in the way of you and me and what we could be together again. I won't give you any reason to fear. I will not rub your nose in the past. Your honor, your heart are safe with me. Let me ask you, does, does your fear of embarrassment keep you from God? Are you afraid to get too close to, to reveal or to risk too much? Are you afraid to come close because you fear that God will think you unworthy? Or unclean or undesirable. God says, do not be afraid. You will not be put to shame. You will not fear disgrace. So, how will she respond? She might be too proud to come back. After all, he rejected her. Now he wants her back. Does he expect her to grovel, to, to admit she's been wrong, to, to be the pitiful one who throws herself on his mercy? Will he hold it over her head? No, he assures her, he is not like that. Verse 4, you will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. Verse 7, for a brief moment I abandoned you, but with deep compassion I will bring you back. Verse 8. With everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you. Are you ever tempted to stay clear from God because you don't want to be a charity case? You don't want to be dependent on a handout? Maybe you've done something that you feel guilty about. You you won't let God forgive you right away as a result and until you've stayed away for a while so you can grovel for a while in, in your penance. You feel you need to beat yourself up for a while before you can come back to God. Almost to earn your forgiveness, which is really, if you think about it, to save face yourself and to save your pride. So then after you feel you've paid your dues, then you can say, okay, God, I'm good and sorry. Now you can accept me back. I've earned it. I've earned the right to have your forgiveness. Will this woman take this approach? Will she say at least for a while, or sorry, will she stay away at least for a while? Stay away from him so as not to be a charity case. Because of her pride, so as 
not to have to swallow her pride and depend on his mercy and his forgiveness. How will this woman respond to this invitation back? Then again, maybe she will stay away because she's gun shy. After all, he rejected her once. What's to prevent him from rejecting her again? It would just be too painful to open up her heart to try again, only to go through the heartache again of rejection. What if she fails him again? What if she disappoints him and he rejects her again? Why hope? Why risk? Why open up your heart to the possibility of having it broken again? But look how he, what he has to say about this. Verse 8. With everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you. And then in verse 9. To me, this is like the days of Noah. Do you know that story of Noah? Humankind had been so evil, so oppressive. They'd made so much a mess of the world and caused so much suffering to one another that God was grieved and pained that he had made them. And so God wiped the slate clean, sending a giant flood on the earth, saving only Noah's family along with the animals on the huge ark and beginning again with them. But what did God say after that flood? God said, I will never do that again. I promise I commit. In fact, I'll make a covenant. I'll legally ratify it. I will never destroy the earth or humankind again. And here in today's passage, God says, that's how I'm coming to you now, my bride. I swear not to be angry with you, never to rebuke you again. And then listen to this in verse 10. My unfailing love for you will not be shaken, nor will my covenant of peace, for those of you who are here here over the last few weeks, my covenant of shalom, it will not be removed. In other words, never again. I promise. I commit. I will never again reject you or push you away, no matter what. So how will she respond? I don't know about you, but at this point, I'm getting uneasy. I'm starting to worry for the man. (laughs) I mean, if your son was a good man and his wife had cheated on him repeatedly and he divorced her, and if she had continued to make one bad decision after another and her life wound up in the gutter in almost every sense of that word, and if while she was in the gutter, still in that situation, he had had compassion on her and gone and found her on the streets and had asked her to come back, to come home. And if he'd promised he would never reject her again, no matter what, he'd never divorce her. He absolutely committed to that. Would you be concerned for him? (laughs) What if she was no different? What if she didn't change? What if she just brought him more trouble and more chaos and more heartache, and he was stuck in it forever. What might she put your son through? What kind of ruin might she bring on both of them? 
According to today's text, this is exactly God's problem. This is exactly God's situation. God has put himself in this position in relation to you and the person sitting next to you. If you and they are a genuine follower of Jesus, one of God's people. God has sworn never to give up, never to reject, never to vent his anger, only to be a faithful husband. So, how will she respond? How will you respond? As you ponder your response, let's look more at at what we learn here about what God, this husband, is like. Last week, we looked at verses 1 through 8 of this passage, and we saw two qualities that it reveals about God. First, that God understands our pain. We saw how God spoke with empathy to his people, realizing how they felt at the time of their exile, like like a barren wife, like uh, someone who had been kicked to the curb by her her husband um, and, and was destitute and abandoned and ashamed. So we saw God's empathy. Second, we also saw that God's love is greater than God's judgment. We saw that compared to his never-ending love, God's judgment is like a passing moment. Verse 7. Now I'd like to explore those aspects of God, those truths about God, a little further by using two words that that Isaiah repeats here in verses 7, 8, and 10. The first word is the word hesed in Hebrew. It's in verses 8 and 10. And In the NIV, it's translated there in verse 8 as kindness and in verse 10 as unfailing love. Elsewhere, it's also been translated as loving kindness and as faithfulness and as steadfast love. And this word hesed is a quality that God expresses when he says in verse 10, my unfailing love, my hesed for you will not be shaken nor my covenant of peace be removed. Chesed is a tenacious, unyielding faithfulness which bears with someone and remains faithful to someone no matter what. And not out of duty or out of principle, but out of love. Ann and I were once at a marriage conference where we heard a story that the speaker told about someone that he knew. And the man's name that the story was about was was Otto, and his life embodied chesed well. Otto didn't marry until well into his 30s because he had been caring for his sick mom until her death. He was an air conditioning technician or something like that. And in his 30s, um, Otto had a, a lady move into the house next door to him. And she had been recently abandoned by her husband, and she was struggling to raise four young kids by herself. Her name was Pat. She was a dentist. And uh, Otto would go over from time to time and help her fix anything that broke around the the house. Her kids liked to come over to play in his yard. He had a great climbing tree in his front yard. So they would wander over into his yard. He would be friendly to them. And over time, these two families spent more and more time together until finally 
one evening they were sitting on her porch while the kids were running around in his yard next door. And he said, you know, we're basically like a family already. Why don't we just make it official? And she said, if you're asking me to marry you, I accept your proposal. (laughs) And they were engaged and their excitement grew. Well, three months later, suddenly he got a call and she had had a stroke and she'd fallen on the floor at work. He rushed to the hospital and the news wasn't good. She was partially paralyzed and she couldn't practice dentistry anymore. At one point during that tumultuous situation in her hospital room, she looked at him lovingly but pensively and she said, I release you from the engagement. And he replied, no, I love you. And they were married. And for 12 years, he took care of her and raised her kids on his modest salary. After she died, he went on to put all four of her kids through college. They became doctors, lawyers, things like that. And and the speaker who told this story had only known Otto later in life as an elderly gentleman at his church. And he hadn't known the full amazingness of Otto's life and character until he attended his funeral and he heard these four kids, now adults, tell the story and give their glowing testimony of what their stepdad had meant to them. And that's what Hesed is like. And that's what God is like. God has Hesed. That's what moves God. That's what God is expressing when he promises to his bride to receive her back and never to turn away from her again. So, how will she respond? Second, God also has compassion. This Hebrew word in in verses 7 and 8 and 10, it also can be translated guts, literally, as in internal organs. It's that feeling you feel in your stomach when you see a baby suffering or a small child in danger and hurting. It's the feeling of of mercy, of pity, of, of the desire to protect and to help and to love. And that is how God feels toward his people. Again, there's nothing like a story to illustrate. Mother Teresa tells the story of of a night when a man came to her in India and and he said to her that there was a family of eight that he was aware of that had not eaten for some time. And and could her ministry do anything to help them? And she recounts, "I, I took some rice and I went there. And the mother took the rice from my hands and she divided it in two and she took half the rice and she went out. And meanwhile, I could see the faces of the children longing with hunger. And after a while, the mother came back and Mother Teresa says, I asked her where she had gone and she gave a very simple answer. The family next door, they are hungry also. This is compassion that that moves you to, to do something, to do what you can for those you see suffering. When we feel it strongly, we actually feel it in our gut, right? Thus, this Hebrew word. And God feels it for his people. It's what moves God, like this husband 
to look on his estranged bride and to feel for her and to seek to win her back. It's what moves him further as he seeks to win her back to promise that he will never reject her again. That he will be faithful no matter what. That he will continue to look at her with compassion and to have toward her a tender heart. It's God's compassion and God's chesed, his faithful love, which move God to offer his unconditional love to his people, to pledge it to her. So, how will she respond? Of course, the question I'm really asking is, how will we respond? Do not be afraid, God says. Do not fear disgrace. You will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach of your widowhood. For your maker is your husband. With deep compassion, I will bring you back. With everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says your Redeemer. Let's take some time to respond. And the way I want to invite you to do this is, is to reflect on these verses that we've been looking at. And let's do it using a, a spiritual practice which people have used in reading God's word for many centuries. The way we'll do it is, is this. I'm just going to focus us on one verse, verse 8. And I'm going to read it several times slowly. And I'm going to invite you to listen to it with your heart. As if God is speaking it to you. And first, I just want to invite you to listen for a word or a phrase from this verse which seems to grab you or speak to you this morning. So I want to invite you to relax and get comfortable and just be ready to listen. Listen as I read this. I'll read it a couple times and I want to invite you to listen for one word or one phrase which grabs at your attention or at your heart, which seems particularly significant to you. Verse 8. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, chesed, I will have compassion on you says the Lord, your Redeemer. Let me read it again. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. So if you think of a word or a phrase there that grabbed your attention, let me read it again and just listen to that word or phrase float by you as you hear it in context as I read these verses, this verse. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you says the Lord, your Redeemer. Now as I read it again, 
I want to invite you to ponder what it means, to chew on it, to meditate on it. Um, what, what would this word or phrase feel like to experience it? What would it sound like? What would it look like? Use your imagination and reflect on this word or phrase. Again, as I read. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. I'll give you a second to reflect. Now, as I read it again, I want to invite you to think about how this word touches your own life, your dreams, your hopes, your fears, your worries, your heart. How is God speaking to you this morning? In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment. But with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Again, I'll give you a second to reflect. And now after I read it this next time, I want to invite you to respond to God, just silently to yourself, but talk to God and respond with whatever is on your heart to say to God. Maybe a question, maybe a um, response of some sort, an invitation, whatever is on your heart. Say that to God. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer. Just in your heart, respond to God. Now I'm going to invite you, uh, I'm going to read it one more time, and I'm going to invite you not to really do anything other than just rest in this time you've had with God. Just be quiet for a moment with God, and then I'll close this in prayer. In a surge of anger, I hid my face from you for a moment, but with everlasting kindness, I will have compassion on you, says the Lord, your Redeemer.
God, thank you for this time we've had to be with you, to listen for your voice and your heart. Thank you for teaching us what love is like. We live in a very broken world, and we have very broken, imperfect hearts ourselves as we struggle to love the people around us and to receive their love. I pray that you would expand our hearts to receive and believe more of your love and then to share it with others. And God, I'm aware that as you've been inviting us to respond this morning, there may be people here who are contemplating responding you for the, to you for the very first time and letting you come in to their hearts to begin a relationship with you. And um, I pray for those who, who may be interested in doing that this morning, that you would help them to do that, to begin a relationship which will blossom and grow and um, go on forever. In Jesus' name, amen. As we sing the closing song, uh, just a reminder that the prayer team will be available after the service if you'd like to continue to pray with or be prayed for about uh, what we looked at this morning in Isaiah or anything else. And if you'd like to begin a relationship with God this morning, they would be happy to help you do that as well.